I'd like to thank my sponsors, Voyager and Electronium, for making this episode possible. Stay tuned for more info on them later. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week we talk to your favorite personalities in the worlds of finance, Bitcoin, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. If you like the podcast, you follow me on Twitter, you absolutely need to check out my website, join my newsletter where I share all my trades, charts, analysis, market thoughts, lessons on improving your trading and investing. You can check that all out at thewolfofallstreets.io. Now, today's guest is a well-known personality in the crypto community and far beyond. Growing up in a business-oriented family, Mati learned at a young age the entrepreneurial skills that he's utilized in his own impressive professional career. Now he's the CEO of his own company, Quantum Economics, which provides a number of successful financial services to his clients. Mati Greenspan, man, thank you so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Great to see you again, Scott. Yeah, we, we, we keep meeting like this. We need to do it in person one day. <laughs> we will. When the, when the virus is over, we'll, we'll do it. Indeed, I'm due a trip to Israel anyway. So your, uh, your, your company, as I mentioned, is Quantum Economics, which we'll call the good QE. Um, <laughs> and I love that it's QE. Uh, it makes me laugh every time I see it on Twitter, actually. But uh, let's nice. talk about the bad QE. Let's just jump right into it. Wow. What do you make of the behavior of the central banks now and monetary policy that we're seeing sort of pervasive around the world? Where to begin, men? Uh, seriously. It's a big topic to start with. Um, boy, so central banks around the world have been printing money nonstop for the last 10 years, and uh, they've been slowly accelerating. Um, they've been kind of encouraged by the fact that there hasn't been any kind of inflation. So usually when you increase the money supply uh, by copious amounts, you would get some sort of inflation, but there has not been. In fact, uh, periods from 2013, 14, 15, they actually saw deflation in many countries despite copious money printing. Um, but now with COVID-19, they basically added um, more stimulus in a single month than they had in the first 200 years of the country. So um, we've been an experimental monetary policy ever since 2008. And now um, we're really seeing the, uh, the peak of that. So where do you think it takes us from here? I mean, we obviously hear all the uh, Bitcoin maximalist theories that we've heard forever, hyperinflation, the dollar dies, uh, we go full dystopian future. I'm not really on that boat necessarily, but uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on the path that we're headed on. So it might seem that way in the United States, I suppose, especially in, you know, with, with COVID, I'm sure there's other places as well. And um, certainly, uh, COVID-19 has done a number on many different industries, some which may disappear forever, some may be uh, forever altered. Um, it's also uh, had some very, very serious impacts on um, the poorer people of the earth, um, people who don't have as much access to infrastructure and water and stuff like that. Um, they're having a very rough time of it. Those of us who are able to work at home should be grateful every day for that. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's pretty much where we're at with that. And, you know, as far as I see, um, it will be over at some point. And every, there's an old saying, um, every, uh, every downturn is eventually uh, for the sake of an upturn. 
So I believe that's what we're seeing right now, where we're seeing a, a big relaxation in the world's economy, everything cooling down. And then I believe that uh, over time, as things start to pick up, we'll be able to rebuild even better. Do you think that we were headed on that path regardless of COVID and it just sort of, uh, you know, uh, sped everything up tremendously, but that it was somewhat an inevitability with what was happening regardless? In general, I think that COVID-19 has been an accelerator of many things. Um, You know, many work from home, for example, was a trend before that, right? There was people, I was working home, uh, working from home since November. I quit my job at eToro and I started working from home immediately with quantum economics. And then COVID-19 came in March and then we see the uh, forced lockdowns. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody's working from home. So everybody who can anyways. Um, I think that one of the major, um, and I, I apologize for the background noise. Uh, um, you were the smart one to put your uh, office in the closed room there. <laughs> I think that uh, renewable energy and the push away from fossil fuels could be one of the things, positive, permanent changes that we're going to see from COVID-19. We saw the negative price of oil as, you know, uh, airline um, airline uh, traffic completely died down overnight around the globe. Uh, demand for crude oil uh, just completely tanked. And then we're seeing uh, people investing in renewable energy sources, uh, so much so that fossil fuel energy is having trouble. And we saw what happened in California. They can't get funding at the moment to yep. power the regular, you know, to power the regular infrastructure. I mean, in the old days, no problem. The power companies will come out with a, with a new bond or whatever, and people will pour money in. Nowadays, all the money is being funneled toward uh, renewable energies. And you can see that in, you know, the pinnacle of that in the share price of Tesla, for example, um, where people have just thrown the evaluations out the window and they're all full in on impact investing. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, been been interesting to watch that roller coaster and sort of the other companies that have followed along or ridden the coattails and uh, definitely uh, definitely a little nervous for people who bought near the top. But uh, I guess we'll uh, see how that plays out. I think over time they'll be fine. But um, you know, it, I, a large a lot of that is definitely I think driven by retail traders and the sort of Robin Hood uh, Robin Hood crowd. But uh, perhaps yeah. You know, when I see something that doesn't make sense, I don't touch it. I know that people <laughs> like, I know that I've seen you momentum playing on uh, Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Honestly, for me, Tesla, Wi-Fi, all of those things, they're way too volatile. I mean, it's not, it's not the market I'm looking for. And I've heard you say it on a podcast as well recently. If I can pull 10 or 20% consistently every year, oh, yeah. I mean, that's all you got to do. And that's what I want to bring for my clients. I want to take that volatility out for them. Take that uh, complete uh, nonsense away and say, okay, look, there's a ridiculous valuation. Will the market catch up eventually to Tesla's valuation? It might. Sure. Um, but also Elon Musk might take SpaceX to Mars and leave Tesla here on Earth. So people have to understand there's two different companies. If Elon Musk is going to the moon or he's exploring space, that has nothing to do with Tesla. Tesla is a car company. SpaceX is the uh, rocket company. So if he makes advances in the rocket area, it's not necessarily going to affect the share price of Tesla. Right. Um, people have to understand, and this this kind of this kind of lesson that we learned from the ICO bubble, right? There's a utility token, and then we say, what does the utility token do, right? Um, and I was speaking with a journalist today, 
who made an interesting comparison um, of EOS, right? Those who bought the tokens completely got left in the bag, but Mike Novogratz and his buddies who funded block one, they made it like a thousand X on those, you know, on those, uh, on those shares, uh, which were private equity, public never saw it. Yeah. It's kind of the uh, pickaxes and shovels model, you know, um, talk about the gold rush and none of the people who are uh, rushing for gold actually made any money, but the people who sold them their tools did. And it's kind of a similar, it's why obviously we see everyone opening an exchange and, uh, exchanges are going to make money, whether as long as we're not at zero, they're going to make money either way. Right. So I think that there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of instances where we're going to see the businesses do well without necessarily the coins or, or the, the people who jumped on board doing as well. But you touched on already um, your, your, your clients and, and um, you know, your goals for them. Can you talk a bit back up and talk a bit more about what quantum economics is and what you're doing? Yeah. So quantumeconomics.io, um, we have, as you mentioned, a range of different uh, financial related services. Um, is broken down into three main categories, which is analysis, advisory, and money management. Um, as far as analysis goes, first of all, you have the daily newsletter that I'm writing, uh, which is sponsored by Media Shower and Bitcoin Market Journal. Um, and it goes out, it's read by just about uh, every top tier financial media in the world, Bloomberg, CNBC, uh, Thomson Reuters, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal. Um, and... Um, about uh, 2,000 active readers at the moment. Um, it's also completely free, so anybody who wants to sign up certainly can. I love um, it. Thank you. And then in the analysis section as well, um, we have an entire team of analysts. We have five analysts on board from around the world, each one in a unique geographic location and has a plethora of experience in their own personal market that they're dealing with. So. Uh, equities, uh, treasuries, uh, energy market, tokenization, of course, uh, DeFi, uh, blockchain, and a Bitcoin analyst as well. So we kind of segregate them out into different markets. Um, and the analysis team is headed up by Mr. Charles Bovaird, uh, who you've probably seen as a senior contributor on Forbes. He writes a lot of articles about cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, he's also an independent uh, analyst with, with uh, Moody's and um, the president of the Financial Writers Society. Um, so that's all under analysis. Um, advisory, of course, as you know myself, um, I'm personally an advisor to Lunar Crush and Chili's, and I just added Electronium as well. Um, as well, the members of our team, uh, many of them are ad advisors on different projects. One of our directors, uh, Mr. Ethan Pierce, just closed the deal today, or announced the deal today, uh, that he's, um, partnering or as an advisor on uh, Green Tech Earth, I believe it's called, or Green Earth, Green Earth Tech, uh, one or the other, um, who is, uh, of course, working on green energy and uh, tokenization. Um, yeah, you mentioned Electronium, which is awesome because uh, they're uh, one of our brand new sponsors and we absolutely love them. I just had Richard Ells on the show and um, I find them to be just a mind-blowing team and concept and one of those few applications in uh, blockchain where people are actually using it, it actually has traction and, you know, can actually change the world to some degree. I know it sounds, uh, sounds pretty hyperbolic, but I, I don't think it is at all. Uh, what, what interests it's you with them and, the and what are you doing already. with them? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's not like it can change the world. It's already there. I mean, 
Um, they had tremendous experience right out the gate uh, with airdrops. And they realized that airdropping ETN onto people who needed it, um, especially in communities in Africa and uh, Western Europe, um, they were basically giving out free money. And the people you know, signed up for the app because they wanted the free money. Uh, and then they realize that they they can actually build kind of an ecosystem. Um, and now their main focus is uh, is on financial inclusion. So basically they're taking people in Africa, teaching them how to make, I don't know, a logo for a company, right? And a yeah. video uh, promotion. And then they have their, their own marketplace where everything happens in ETN and that that person in Africa can now join uh, the entire financial revolution of the internet that he's never been able to before. Um, and there's different ways that I want to see that uh, scaling up. Um, number one, I think that um, they have they get to the point sometimes where um, they have clients that are so big that they just need more liquidity, more trades happening in ETN. So if people are trading more in ETN, uh, the volumes go up. That'll enable them to take on those bigger clients like, you know, um, the, uh, I don't want to mention any names or anything like that, but there are certain industries uh, that Mobile want providers. to get into yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, let people top up their uh, their mobile uh, minutes with ETN, um, but they need to have that liquidity as well. So the more people trade on it, uh, the more we're enabling them uh, to, uh, to to accomplish their mission. So talk about the uh, money management wing. You you said you know you're very happy if you can get your clients ten to twenty percent, which in the pre-crypto days would have made you like a top manager on the planet, basically, if you could consistently do that. But now we're in this, uh, in the, in this space where people think that they should be doing a hundred X a day, much less 10 to 20% a year. And as you touched on, I'm thrilled if I'm doing 10 to 20% a year. So, um, the, obviously uh, that speaks to your experience <laughs> and how long the you've Pepe been here. meme frogs that are, that are yoloing down on link are going to go 10%. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> and then you feel like, at that point you go feel like a, a bond baby. boomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like, Oh my gosh. Well, like I've been in this market for years and I'm like watching this guy who just, just got in. Uh, take the rocket ship up and, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, sporting his moon, bo moon boots doing the Michael Jackson thing. Yeah. Um, Some of them might actually keep that money at the end, but uh, most I don't think so. We hope so for those. Uh, but, you know, as, as it often is, it was, we've just recently seen with Dave Portnoy, who's slithered back into oblivion as far as his trading goes. A lot of the time what happens is people join in at the right time on a right trend. Um, if they don't cash out, uh, early and often, they're going to end up losing that money. Um, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. And then a lot of the time people get a very big ego, go, Oh my gosh, I got this and this amount of profits. And then they go and tell their grandmother about it. And then that's how, uh, that's how bubbles get started. And I was out at, uh, at, you can, you can go back on Twitter. I was telling them at $20 on link, I was like, guys, now is the time to take profits. If you're up more than 10x, now twenty dollars, take cut it. Maybe it'll be. Maybe it'll surpass that someday. Maybe it won't. But what do you care to bank? You know, three uh, x, right? And let the seven x ride, right? You know what I'm saying? So um, that's kind of what you need to do, especially if you're trading on some of these really highly volatile things, and you've seen some good profits. Take those profits on the table, and then of course. Money management, right? You trade on it with ten percent of your equity. Like go nuts, ten percent of your of your entire portfolio 
throw it down on really high risk stuff. Um, but the rest of it, you know, you gotta, you gotta save that. I mean, that's your money. You don't want to lose that or else you won't have any left. Right. And it speaks to, I think the general strategy that you need to employ in this market, which as you said, selling early and often, but just scale in and scale out and you'll never really deal with the emotional side of those problems. Like, yeah, sell 50% of it. If you're really so attached to it when you've done 10 X and let the rest ride into, you know, into infinity up, down, wherever you at least can walk away and say, damn, I made a lot of money yeah. here. Right. You have no idea how many, how much those, those uh, Pepe frogs were trolling me at the time. And I'm like, I saw it. I didn't say anything against link. I didn't like say it's a bad project. I have no idea. I didn't research it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the shit. Maybe it's the Oracle of the century and it's going to replace TCP IP. I don't think so. Um, I pointed out some various flaws in the token economics right out the bat, which I didn't seem to be getting answers to from the frog community. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that, that's not that, they, that they're not, you know, a great project. I have no idea. But if you're going to trade at that, I, on those things, do your due diligence and, and risk management. I think that's the bottom line. I think it's fair to say that every trader or Twitter personality that I've had on this show has taken a beating at some point from that community, myself included, and, and just vicious. Embrace it, man. Embrace it. I took one of their uh, one of their Pepe meme frogs that they made of me, which somebody somebody spent a lot of time on that. That's like awesome. It, I want they one. put my face <laughs> with, the, with the red tears. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I put it as my profile, and I uh, changed my bio to Frog Slayer. Uh, I was Monty. <laughs> Green's Pepe for a few hours. <laughs> but, but you're right. Yeah. History, history in this case, history, uh, history will judge you well on saying uh, sell at twenty dollars. I didn't say sell. I said take some profits. profits. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. You didn't say short it, but so I would love to hear um, your story of how you actually got into all of this. I mean, I know that you have like a very colorful background and a long, long history in markets. So um, this would be a good time, I guess, to start at the beginning and see how you got here and why you're still so passionate about this. Yeah, I mean, I've been interested and in some way connected to the markets just for about as long as I know myself. Um, I mean, the uh, story that keeps getting out is that uh, paper trading um, at the age of 13, I mean, that's not exactly accurate. What I was doing was really tracking the prices. I didn't really know what paper trading was at the time. Paper trading is basically when you put a fake position, you write it down on a piece of paper, and then you see, like, in a few months' time, how did you do? Um, when virtualstockexchange.com opened up, I was one of the first people to sign up where you could uh, on the internet, open up a virtual account with stocks. And I was trading, uh, you know, Google and all of the tech names back then. Um, you know, it's, it's always been a hobby and a passion and, um, something that I've been, uh, closely connected with. But where did that come from? I mean, I, I know that, um, I've read that your uh, grandfather was into markets and was a self-made billionaire, correct? <laughs> self-made so, billionaire, yes, with a B. Yeah, he, from rags to riches. I mean, his, his parents couldn't afford a model airplane to buy him for his birthday. Um, he was a scrawny kid. He learned how to lift weights. Uh, he went out and he got these great stories about how he met my grandmother and went after her and um, you know, and how he just, he went, scaled up every single time he scaled up. He wasn't, you know, it, you know, the billions didn't come until much later in his life when he was already 
uh, able to build credit with the banks and then leverage that credit in the financial markets. But that really came only within the last 10 or 20 years. The rest of his life has been hard work, head to the ground. Um, you know, you, you, you build up, scale up slowly. And uh, it's, really, it's really the right time, the right place, the right personality for it. My grandfather was a stockbroker and used to, you know, every morning uh, lay out the paper and check everything and draw his charts, you know, on a piece of graph paper. Pretty. Uh, wow. One of my, I, I talked to my dad about it. It's one. It's really my dad's memory, not mine. But um, you know, I always uh, remember him talking about that. And every single morning, get out, draw the candles uh, manually. Pretty crazy to yeah. think about it in that regard, and definitely uh, something that stuck with me and made you know for my grandfather that made me very interested. Um, What's it like having that sort of example in your life? You know, somebody who you saw work that hard and, and realize success at each step, because there's plenty of people who work hard and, you know, are, are somewhat stagnant. That's an interesting question, Scott. Um, for the most of my life, I didn't really think about it too much. I mean, like the lessons were there. I mean, the talking about business openly at the table, but I didn't, you know, at the time go, oh, wow, these are really valuable lessons for life. Actually, I didn't really care much. I mean, I listened, right? When my grandfather told me, hey, you know, I heard you're into the stocks. So, um, you know, GE just uh, dropped 20 points. I'm like, so, well, you know, it's a good company. It'll go back up. You know, again, and I, those things kind of tend to seep in or when they say, you know, when, you're, uh, when my mom says to me, you know, the price of gold always goes up. And, you know, and you, you watch it, it does. And she said it when I was very young. And, you know, over time, it always goes up. I mean, especially since the purchasing power of, you know, fiat money is designed to go down. Um, my grandfather and I have a turmoil relationship at times. I mean, I've been a bit rebellious, I suppose, in uh, some, uh, some parts of my life. Um, and when he doesn't, he, my grandfather has this thing about golden parachutes and, um, there was this one case of a, a teenager who had inherited millions of dollars and then, uh, I don't know, he bought some really fancy car and spent all the money and then killed himself or something like that. So he really didn't want to give for any of his offspring uh, free handouts. So it was always like, you got to earn it, you got to work for it. Um, and there's always some of these kind of strings attached. So um, what I'm proud to say is that out of all pretty much um, – all my family, siblings and cousins, there are very few of us who are completely financially independent. Um, and I'm very proud to be uh, one of them. But obviously, I wouldn't have been able to do that without the lessons that I've learned uh, as a child. So, um, you know, uh, obviously, we've talked about you growing up, but your professional career, what have the steps been? Where have you been before? And, and what were you doing that led you to where you are now? Um... My schooling, I would say, is mostly incomplete. Uh, I have a high school GED. I tried college for a while. It didn't really, like the first semester, I got straight A's. And by the second semester, like I completely lost interest. Um, I moved to Israel when I was 12 years old. So high school was, uh, you know, I went to probably a dozen different high schools in Israel just to learn Hebrew. It took yeah. me three years as a child. Um, so grade school, not so much college, not so much. Um, and then, uh, I decided to get into music and I really like music. I know you play a bit. I play guitar. Um, I can play a mean clarinet, saxophone or side flute. Um, 
and I really connected with uh, with that side. I mean, these days I don't get to that much, but um, I went to music school, uh, college for about three years, uh, and then I met my wife. And my wife says, "Well, you got to get a job." <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's a job, <laughs> right? I worked for you know for my grandfather within his firm in every position within his company when I was you know summer school you know summer uh, summer jobs. But uh, to actually get, you know, a paycheck and pay the rent and everything like that. And I uh, found um, something or a friend of mine helped me put a resume together, showed me all about resumes and then got me a job as a telephone sales, which English is a very valuable commodity in this uh, yeah. in this part of the world. If you have good English. And so I kept my uh, California accent as much as I could. Um, and they taught me how to sell things on the phone. Um, there was, that was a company called DSNR. They had a great sales training program. And then um, after that, I mean, one, one day I woke up after about eight months and I go, uh, I don't really want to sell things to people on the phone and, uh, you know, over the, what was it, the green card lottery. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably haven't in the United States, but in Europe, everybody knows what it is. It's, it's basically the United States government uh, has this free program. And then my job was to sell it to people. Um, so. You know, people go, but can't I do that for free? And then you're like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess you can. But we help you process the papers. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I called up my boss. I'm not coming in today. So what's wrong? So I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a few months later or a month later or so, I got an interview at AvaFX. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, a popular FX broker. It was 2008, right before the financial crisis. Good timing. Um, <laughs> and they go, oh, I see you worked at DSNR. They have a great sales training program. You're hired. Like, just like that. Oh, like, nice. I'd, I'd actually signed up for a, a virtual account with AvaFX even before I ever had an idea to go work in that industry. I said, you know, I was looking online, what, how, to, how to make money online, day trading. Yeah, I can do that. I like the markets, you know, and then uh, uh, apparently I had a virtual account with AvFX already. Um, I worked with them for a couple of years. Uh, and then I got uh, into eToro. I mean, with, uh, with that kind of experience, it was like a shoe in position, um, you know, doing VIP account management. Uh, so, you know, the higher equity clients, and uh, assisting them in the markets. And I've seen probably thousands of different clients firsthand experience in the market and how they get in and how they go out with their tail between their legs, uh, you know, 95, 99% of the time, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that's even before crypto was born. Um, <laughs> so we don't yeah, need crypto then, to go broke as traders. We, we can do it with oh, anything. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it's been happening since the dawn of time, not even since the dawn of the internet. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen boiler room and uh, oh, of course, you know, Wolf of wall street. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that movie. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto. And it's a hundred percent commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. 
Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. Hey guys, I want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Electronium, and their amazing new platform, AnyTask.com, a place where freelancers can finally be paid for their work without needing a bank. Freelancers match directly with potential clients and receive ETN as payment. Even better, ETN can be spent in over 2,000 physical and online locations worldwide. A lot of companies talk the talk of mainstream adoption, but Electronium is truly walking the walk. They're banking the unbanked worldwide and offering opportunity to those who lack access to the resources that many of us take for granted. In the next few months, they're also adding more in-app purchases, including local food and supplies, paid TV, gaming, gift cards, and much more. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to electronium.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-O-N-E-U-M.com. Maybe it's, it's, he stole my name, but other than that, yeah. Yes. (laughs) So it's funny Um, you mentioned going to eToro though. I mean, and I think probably for a lot of people in this community, I think of you when I think of eToro. Like it became somewhat synonymous. I mean, I think I somewhat knew of eToro because of following you and knowing who you were. So clearly um, you had a huge impact there. I'm wondering what the impact of working there had on on you. All right, so um, right now as we're talking, I mean, my eToro account is is open. I mean, I've got an an account in eToro. Like I left the, it was extremely, uh, bittersweet it was the most risky thing that I've ever done in my entire life leaving there and I had a good job like a really good job and I said to myself am I doing it am I not doing it what happened was I just I, I realized that throughout my entire career I'd been on a steady line of progression sometimes faster sometimes slower and I got to a point in the where I realized that I needed to continue to climb that ladder right um, I need to have, uh, you know, certain certain things, higher salary, people under me, a better title, you know, that next step in the ladder, and it just wasn't coming. And I said, you know what? And, and it's not any anything that Itoro did wrong. It was just that, you know, uh, nobody had ever given me the opportunity to manage a team with an Itoro, right? Um, and I understand that. I mean, and of course, people there are like my family still to this day. I mean, there there are certain people that I would. Uh, I was I would trust with my children or uh, or or my you know my car keys or my house honestly, um, and uh, it was very difficult to leave there. But it, it took me about a year from the time where I said, "Okay, I have to either move forward here or move on." And during that year, I took some risks within the company. I said, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna break it, or I'm I'm, I'm gonna go forward. I'm gonna break this." And, Swing for um, fences. And what happened was I ended up breaking and I broke some relationships. I broke some relationships with my manager. Oh, you know, a few of them were dicks, so I didn't really care. But, um, you know, uh, Yoni's cool. Uh, By the way, I'm sporting Good Dollar right now, which I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, The Good Dollar Project for Universal Basic Income, which is a brainchild of Yoni Asia. But... um, and, and then, and it's it was so difficult because you know these people that you've built such a strong relationship over seven years, and you can't tell them. <laughs> you can't say, "Oh, by the way, I'm quitting." Right, <laughs> right. Of you can't. And you know, it's like this kind of big secret. 
And then I'm like, can I swing it? Can I not do it? I don't know. I've, I've been on a steady paycheck my entire career, right? I've been paycheck to paycheck. Um, did the math and I said, you know what? It's risky. But if I, if I end up falling, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be able to get another job. <laughs> I got yeah, no problem. Of course. Um, I'll be in a bit more debt. But uh, it's something that I'll be able to pay off by the end of my life. Um, <laughs> that was the exact. That was exactly what was going through my. And I've got three kids, and one one of them was just born at this time. Yeah. So um, I decided I had to. I had to make the leap, and that's when I did. And I said, you know what, guys, I love you very much, um, but I gotta go. And um, started thinking about the different ideas. What can I do? And I said, you know what. I want to do everything, right? I want to do everything that I can. I want to do, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go as big as I can. And that's why, you know, you come to the website and you like, maybe you get lost because you don't know exactly uh, what it is that quantum economics does. Um, but that's because we, we have a very broad range. And so far the success of a knock on wood have been success to success. And we have already uh, 13 members on the team. We're, we're onboarding all the time and uh, you know, we're onboarding new clients all the time, especially for our content generation services uh, for the analysts. And then, as I mentioned, uh, going into the money management right now, the money management aspect is just Toro. And we're doing well there. I mean, we got 50% gains year to date, which is pretty good. Uh, so copy, like copy trading. Effectively. Just copy trading and just in the United States. Right. Um, so it's basically when they went into the United States, they segregated United States from the rest of the world, which is unfortunate. Right. And the United States uh, has only access to crypto. So in Europe, um, and when I was managing, I was managing a quarter of a million dollars on an account, an eToro account in Europe, uh, eToro while I was working there. And that was, you know, it was doing 10% uh, to 20% per year. Um, but that was on all assets, like commodities, currencies, right. stocks, you, you name it. And I was able to hedge Bitcoin against the S&P 500 like a freaking champ. Um, now, and I, I try to be as clear as possible, the Toro account that I'm managing is crypto only, so I don't have the options to hedge uh, different assets against each other. So it's extremely high risk account, which means that if the price dips, the only real option that we have is to load more money in so that we can buy the dip. It's the, right. only, the only play that I can make that makes sense as a long-term strategy. Um, I, I can't hedge it. I can't hedge. There's, no, there's nothing. I try to hedge my, you know, my personal finances against other accounts that are private right. accounts. Like that. But um, at, at the moment, that, that's where it is. We've got half a million dollars under management, 750 people copying on real money. But I want to go into traditional funds. And then, fortunately, that's not something I've done before. I've got the license. I have a license from uh, CISEC, which is the uh, Cyprus Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, it was very difficult to get. I mean, I was the only person in eToro who ever tried this examination. They sent to the basic examination, which was the step below that, they sent probably dozens of different account managers, and they had a pass rate of maybe like one in three or something like that to get the Brutal. basic exam and then to get the to get the advanced exam was the only one who ever whoever even attempted it um so that that to me was uh that's a piece of paper that says okay i am allowed to make investment decisions for my clients obviously knowing their appetite for risk and knowing their uh full background and what it is that they're interested in um i'm never gonna you know i'm not gonna tell people on twitter 
buy gold right now. Like that doesn't no. make any sense. I don't know no. who you are. I don't know in what situation your portfolio is. Like, so, so important. And then people are going to come at me and say, you said buy gold and it went down. And then I'll like, uh, yeah, I'm talking about for 20 years from now and you're talking about for 20 minutes from now. So it's the context is everything. Exactly. So especially whatever you see on Twitter, uh, tweets are not financial advice. Um, but basically what this allows me to do is to be the director of a company or director of a fund uh, in Cyprus. So uh, that's what I'm doing. And I spent the last, I don't know, four months just researching how is this done because I've never done it before. My initial thought was, okay, I'll get somebody to do this. Who knows what the fuck they're doing? And uh, I'll give them guidance on what we're investing in. And, you know, we'll, we'll, go, we'll take it from there. Nobody stepped up. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I just, no, okay, doing it myself. So um, I researched into it. And the best way to do it, I mean, I, I, I sent out a little teaser in my newsletter saying, okay, guys, we're looking to put together a fund who's interested. Uh, and the response that I got from my subscribers, the people that are overwhelming, reading my everyday I'm sure. thoughts, was... I couldn't, like, I want to, like, whoever, whatever one of you, whoever's watching is from, like, really thank you guys. I mean, it's, like, really from the bottom of my, of my heart because it really surpassed all my expectations. I mean, just from, just from those core uh, followers and readers, I said, okay, we, we have more than enough to go on. And I'm not even talking about uh, advertising on social media or anything like that. And we can build a proper uh, hedge fund, um, which is completely regulated. Um, completely diversified and I'll allow, um, uh, basically what it is, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Okay. It's like an investment. So the person invests X amount, um, and then, uh, we have ready-made portfolios for them. So I'll give them different titles, but let's say four to five or three to five different portfolios, and then they can decide the allocation. Right. Um, and then it's going to be something that's locked in. I want people to understand I'm not building another casino here. Right. This is a casino. Uh, Binance is a casino. Um, Ameritrade and uh, Robinhood, those are casinos. Uh, this is not what this is. This is something that people want to make an investment over time, uh, continue to invest, and continue to see uh, consistent growth. This is really what that's aimed at. And then, look, I mean, if we have a bad year, and I'm sure that'll happen, I don't want to go below 5 or 10% drawdown. And then we say, okay, you know what? We pick ourselves back up and we continue to claw it back. And if the market, as long as the markets continue what they've been doing for the last few hundred years, we should have no problem uh, doing that over time. So they're your um, own custom structured products, basically. And somebody just puts their money in that basket. And then you say, you know, it could be like moderate risk, high risk or whatever, or based on what the exposure is. And then every six months or a year, you reassess and recalibrate. Rebalance. Exactly right. And then within the next year or two, and here's where it gets really fun. Uh, I believe that the regulation here in Europe uh, will be sufficient to be able to tokenize them. Mm. And then we take those funds, we hop them on a blockchain, and we send them to Fidelity, we send them to the Stuttgart Digital Assets Exchange, which just opened up and is definitely looking for these type of investment products to add to their, uh, to their books. Uh, Singapore yeah, uh, Digital Assets Exchange. I mean, they're all going there. They don't have everything. Like the, they're just like frantically right now crossing their the, 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 their T's and dotting their I's. And and as soon as they do, I don't necessarily need to be the first one to do it. But as soon as I see the, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be the first pioneer to cross the. Uh, you know, right, but we are seeing like not, not, not to that level, and with the uh, like these legacy companies like 
fidelity that you're talking about, but obviously we're seeing um, these index funds sort of being thrown around on all the exchanges now. You know, it started with like the ETH bull, ETH, all these things, but then like the DeFi index on FTX. So it gives you some exposure to DeFi without having to like go on burger swap and figure out what the hell is happening there. So I think that it's a very popular concept right now and is definitely somewhat the future certainly in crypto. And it's the way that I think your average person is familiar with or wants to invest, right? I mean, someone buys an IRA or gets a 401k and they just buy a bunch of mutual funds and hope for the best, right? So. <laughs> not, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that is the idea. You're correct. This is the diversification aspect. And somebody goes, I think DeFi is interesting, but they don't have, they don't have the time, the energy or the understanding to go today, polka dot, tomorrow, yams. They don't, right. you know, and some people do, and it's fun. You know? I can't. Uh, I don't, honestly. So, which is why I'll say, okay, we put some uh, polka dot, we put some yams, we put some Ethereum in there, and we make kind of a crypto assets portfolio, and then we have right. another one which is um, structured towards, uh, let's say, the central bank money printing problem. And we say, okay, we put hard assets in there: gold, Bitcoin, real estate, things that you know uh, are designed to appreciate over time. Uh, stock indexes included, um, and especially in the, de the face of monetary debasement, uh, these assets can can go up any number. So those are all really interesting concepts. I think that's going to be very popular. I want to talk about, obviously, I mean, eToro was, I would say, I don't know if it was early or if they just had like a more noticeable commitment to crypto. Um, is that where you initially were introduced to Bitcoin? And, and the, yeah. Of course. I mean, Yoni gave me my first Bitcoin when it was 30 bucks a pop. He gave it to me flat out. People were giving them away back then. Oh yeah. I mean, like that was, that was the community at the time. It was airdrops and giveaways and gifts. I gave a few to other people. I mean, from that one Bitcoin, I gave some to, you know, to, to this friend, that friend. Some people came back to me, Mati, I saw Bitcoin. Is that, where's my Bitcoin? I can't get it back. Well, sorry. sorry. Lost it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, the ICO market and, and all that stuff. Um, around the beginning of 2017 or even at the end of 2016, I noticed that Bitcoin was doing like this thing where it was gaining really consistently, like not a lot, maybe 2% a week, 1% a week, 5% a week. Right. And like, but like every week was up and around January, 2017, I said, okay, $1,000 again. And that was like a significant level. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm making a video about it. And I made this video called Bitcoin Rush. I think to this day, it probably has about uh, 20 million hits on YouTube. Um, not because it went viral necessarily, but because um, somebody in our marketing team uh, decided that they could slap a free demo banner on it. And it had the craziest conversion uh, rate that they'd ever seen on YouTube. Basically, Etoro blew out. Uh, their Q3 and Q4 budgets in Q2 because it was doing so well. Um, and then we decided to play with it. We said, okay, that one's good, but people are getting, you know, a bit used to it or whatever. They're getting, you know, and then we, we started A-B testing it, optimizing it and, and uh, using different people and, uh, you know, different account managers. And, and it was just, um, by the time we got to Q3 of 2017, the crypto rush was in full boom. I mean, completely. Like, things were going nuts. Servers yep. were going down all over the place. eToro had upgraded there. They did a three-year upgrade, and it lasted three months. 
like on their servers, like quite honestly like that. And then, um, you know, it was basically the whole company went into this whole hyper overdrive situation where marketing had completely closed. There was no budget for marketing anymore. And nobody in marketing even needed to do anything because the customers were coming by themselves already. The word was out. Right. The eToro has crypto. The eToro has liquidity. Even sometimes the buttons got gray and clients got frustrated. Why can't I buy right now? Because there's no liquidity in the market. Everybody's buying and nobody's selling. Um, so, I mean, we, we broke so many records uh, even within that month. And like basically eToro had to retrain their entire staff and at one point, I walked by with one of the senior developers of eToro, like the guy who built the platform from the ground up. And I walked by his desk and I see somebody's passport on his screen. He was verifying fucking KYC docs, right? Like himself. And that's so crazy. Like himself, yeah, because that's what everybody was doing. We were just onboarding new customers. Like, and customer service was completely like overwhelmed. They said, okay, the chat room, we're going to close it three hours a day just so that we can get back on, on track with the tickets. And I said, you know what? Three hours a day chat. I'll do it. And I did it by myself for three hours a day. Cause you know, at FX, I did the, the customer service chat. It's the big deal. You know, everybody with their 200 bucks and it's the most important thing in the world to them right now. Where is my 200 bucks? Why isn't my account verified yet? Why can't I buy XRP right this minute? Um, <laughs> and so I did it. It was like 10, 20, 30 chats at a time. You, you do the chat cans and everything, but there's no way to really stay on top of it. Like as you should, um, but it was really interesting times, uh, to be, to be around and to be a part of the market. So you've been in, I mean, you've been in Bitcoin for most of its history. So what, it, what is Bitcoin to you now? Having seen the entire roller coaster and heard all the narratives and probably supported or rejected a lot of them throughout time. And listen, this isn't finite things change, but I'm just curious how you view it at this moment. I view it now exactly the same as I did after viewing it for five minutes. I saw the email from Yoni Asya who said, this is the money of the future and explained a little bit about decentralization because my mind wasn't there yet. But having witnessed the 2008 financial crisis and the bailouts, by the time we got to 2013, I was like, you know, this whole financial system, um, and to, to finally say, okay, we have this kind of money that we can take that power away from the central bankers and put it back in the hands of the people. And I immediately went to Facebook because everybody was using Facebook back then. Um, like I, you know, I, I was a late, I was a laggard on Facebook, Me but too. I was one of the first off the platform. And I'm sorry to say that as soon as Proud those testimonies <laughs> came out, like, I like mind control. Really? Um, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm out. Hard thank pass. You. Uh, yeah. Um, so the first thing I did after reading two articles, uh, was I went to Facebook and I posted, Hey everybody, the money of the future is here. And I put this uh, link to an article about Bitcoin and surprisingly, and even though I was getting at the time 20 to 50 likes on each post, there was no engagement. It was like nothing. People were like, they weren't even interacting. People didn't even look twice at it. I guess just, they scrolled down the feed. Yeah. Every once in a while I see people like nowadays responding on that same post, right? <laughs> now that they go back and look at it. Um, but uh, it, it, I, I still, you know, and then a few months later, there was the Cyprus thing that happened with the Cyprus bail-in and then, you know, Bitcoin rose. That was like the first analysis that I did was like Bitcoin rising because of, you know, a geopolitical event, right? And then it, it 
Bitcoin never reacted to another geopolitical event until January of this year when the uh, missile hit Iraq and killed that uh, general. Like it, right. like from then, like from 2013 until 2020, it's been completely disconnected from the rest of the markets. Um, but at this point, I see it exactly the same as I did then. It's like the money of the future that it belongs to the people that belongs to the internet and not to uh, the people, the powers that be, shall we call them. Do you think that it's good money or do you think that it's a better store of value or both? I mean, yeah, you know, that, that obviously there's a, a crossover there because, you know, hard money um, that's deflationary obviously makes it good money, but it's, you know, we obviously know that there's better cryptocurrencies for transacting, you know, things that are faster, but uh but I don't think the world is there yet. You know, I don't think that the world is really demanding uh, third part or, or a th- third option money system that's instant and you can buy coffee with it. I mean, fiat works in most of the world. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, like, with very few exceptions. I mean, I think that people get a bit overboard and they think the you know, the Fed is going overboard and the whole system is going to crash. Like, I don't think so. I mean, we might see a bit of uh, heightened inflation, but we haven't seen it until now. And there's no reason to think that um, it's suddenly going to be doomsday scenario as far as the global economy is concerned. As an investor, it always pays to be an optimist. And I learned that the hard way in 2012 when I said, 2012, the world is crumbling. The Mayan calendar is over. (laughs) Greece is completely messed up. Italy is next. Right. And you short everything European and then the Europeans somehow they dug their way out of it. Like somehow they said, okay, you know what? That's the ground austerity and stimulus and we're done. And, you know, Greece is already there, there by now. Um, mostly out of the woods. Yeah, I would functioning say. economy. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the world's not over and the world continues and we continue to, uh, you know, uh, we continue to do, uh, to do the same thing over and over again. And I think that that's, that's that's the strategy that you kind of have to take um, because you know what happens if you're wrong. Fuck it, the world's ending anyways. What do I need I mean, all that? True, what right? Do, what do I need all that money for? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And if you zoom out far enough, uh, markets never go down. So as you said, I mean, it pays to be an optimist, but that's because the nature of markets, unless you're literally in the tulips and. Uh, you know, uh, beanie babies, they, they go up. YOLO, <laughs> YOLO <Yeah>. investing. <laughs> but you touched on something earlier, um, which is something I love to talk about. The, the stats, 90 to 95, maybe 99% of all traders fail, right? Yes, um, they do. And you true. saw it firsthand over and over again with people blowing up their eToro accounts. So why do you think that that is? It's not just eToro. Every broker I've ever worked yeah. for has always been like that. Yeah. And there are those brokers that kind of prey on those people as well. They come they in and get them to to invest and then they even B-book it. You know, like most people don't even know what B-booking is, but it basically means that the broker's a casino. He takes your, your thousand bucks, puts it in his pocket, and he gives you some virtual money to play with, knowing full well that you're going to crash your account no matter what you do. Yep. Uh, they give you enough leverage to hang yourself. And then they're like, you know, if somebody comes and demands his money and he's making a lot of stink with the regulators and or on social media, okay, we'll give it to him. Give him right? his money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, they're going to continue. But why is it, why is trading so hard? I mean, why, why do they, why do they all inevitably fail? Because uh, largely because people have, 
unrealistic expectations. Um, they believe that they are going to, with $500, become a millionaire within a year. Like that—that that is it. Like you know what? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make a, right now a lot of money, and then I'm not gonna have to work for the rest of my life. It's not how it's not how investing works. It's how trading works, and trader traders lose money, investors make money. Um, you know, as Warren Buffett's old saying, you know, the transferring wealth from the impatient to the patient. patient. Yep. Really, all it is, it's people that come in and they don't know what they're doing and they use too much leverage because they, they realize that the leverage is their only way out of the situation where they can get the edge. I only have 500, but I need 5,000. <laughs> or try 5 million, right? Yeah. Like, and, they, like, and then they go, they trade $5 million worth on $500. You're going to get liquidated real fast and yeah. you lose all your money. And that's basically the, the story of traders. And I've seen some successes too along the way. I mean, I've seen people both who've done their homework or got completely dumb luck. I got, I saw some guy in Germany. Oh my God, he makes so much Like He put in like 20 grand and he bought like three houses for his children after that. He shorted the Euro dollar at the right time, right at the peak. He rode this massive downward trend um, and he and he frequently cashed out. He frequently wiped. He put some more money back in, but he kept cash now and that was and that was how he was able to uh to, to keep the money after that the the euro dollar changed its course and started doing up and down rather than straight down and then he's like i'm out you know i don't have my uh my thing anymore but that's just good trading um, like that's a good trade seen, yeah i've seen scalpers who beat the system consistently they like they see which broker uh you know is, is going first and then which broker is behind and then the broker that's behind they got a really fast computer, lots of nice monitors, and they can just, they see that non-farm payrolls report come out, the market booms, and that broker who is, who is last, they'll take them for all they're worth. And you know what? Um, I've seen it happen, and I've seen people make lots of money in the markets, um, but it's, it's infrequent. It's like really infrequent. I mean, maybe your chances are better than playing the lottery, I would say, but uh, the stakes are higher. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but, but worse than a casino, <laughs> worse than blackjack. <laughs> Look, if 1% they're making money, <laughs> I mean, how many, what percentage of people who play the lottery make money? Well, zero right, they talk, we, we talk about edge as traders and um, everybody has their system and their, their indicator and the thing that they love. And I, I always joke that like, that's not where edge comes from, even though I think younger traders think that it does. To me, edge comes from just that emotional control and the ability to just be stone cold and you know, play out your plan with, with no emotion. I mean, do you agree or I do you think that there's some other Yeah, I really, I, that was really interesting to me because in a certain way you do get desensitized to it. Um, I wouldn't say like, if I have a any money on high leverage, I cannot get desensitized. Like if it's like really high leverage and I'm playing and I like it and I, and that's fine. You know, I know that I'm gambling and I know that, you know, that five, I'm never going to see that 500 shekels again. That's Fine. Right. Um, but if you approach it with that but, intention, it's fine. If you if it's but, your last five hundred money is live, yeah. No, you can't. You have it has to be money that you're willing to lose. You it, it's you compare it to going to a casino. You're putting you're going down to the blackjack table. You know that the money is not coming back. You know it, and you're fine with it. It's ha I'm happy. And, and, you know, yeah. But you paid for a good time. Live, <laughs> it's a rush, and I and I feel the rush, and I and I can't put the phone down. I can't sleep. You know, and it's fine. Um, where I really learned 
to desensitize was when I was managing a, a larger portfolio with eToro uh, on their eToro platform. And what I realized is with the massive diversification, like when you're involved in 200 different assets, like whatever you decision you take on today, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter because I'm just trading with a fraction of a fraction of my total portfolio. So if I make an adjustment, like if I'm going through my portfolio and go, hmm, maybe I should close that position today or scale down the amount of percentage of gold right over the next few months and like say instead of 10% I want to get it I want to get it down to like 8% Eight. over a month yeah. right and, and when you when you look at it like that you have the fidget I can still fidget right and I can still close very small positions within the larger portfolio and then I realize that I can I can kind of have it both ways like yeah. I can be excited about it but at the same time take these type of decisions and overanalyze on the very small things that are not going to, they're not going to make those type of big decisions. So I don't, I don't, I mean, for me, I know that from what you've said, you're completely different. I don't feel desensitized at all, but what I do feel and a lot exactly along the lines of what you've been saying is balance. And I think that balance is critical and balance in your life. I mean, for me, like balancing my family, balancing my work and even religion, I would say plays a big part in that. Um, I pray for sometimes an hour a day, from 30 minutes to an hour a day, which is basically my form of meditation. That's my form of getting my head into the game because it is, um, for me, not 24-7. I mean, for you, I know that you, you trade 24-7, nonstop crypto never sleeps. For me, it's like yeah. um, I take Saturdays off. Friday right. night, close the phone, close my computer, I have family time, and we do a dinner. 25 hours straight i don't touch uh work like i'll watch netflix i'm not that religious you know you see me with right. a beard uh i don't you know like i'm not like the whole shomer shabbos thing you know but it's for me you it's like the that di time digital that sabbath <laughs> i digitally detox i stay away from work and i i completely uh try and get my 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 focus back and then uh during that meditation daily Again, try to regress, take take it away from work. Maybe I'll maybe I'll sit in that yellow chair, and maybe I'll see the charts out of the corner of my eye or something, and uh, maybe even meditate on that a little bit. Um, but try and clear my mind as much as possible, which I think is um, extremely critical for for keeping that balance and keeping kind of a cool head and and trying to um, take these type of these type of decisions. Um, and there's not many decisions that you need to take like that, but you know, even just one or two a day can be quite critical. Yeah. And for longevity too, you know, you just can't, nobody can go 24, seven, 365 and sustain. I mean, you just have to, and I think as parents, yeah, like we have, we have a forced break no matter what. Right. I mean, there's just times you're just, I mean, you, you gotta take care of your kids. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. Right. And, um, but yeah, I mean, for you, it's religion. For another person, it might be to go for a jog for 30 minutes and listen to music. And But it's just so, so important that you're able to detach and put your phone away and not think about it. And, and um, I think that's been a huge uh, difficulty for a lot of people, definitely for me with COVID, because I can't do or have not been able to do necessarily a lot of the activities. I don't go to the gym. That used to be, yeah. I used to go to the gym every day for an hour and they'd yell at you if I even like picked up my phone. So it was, you know, it's just not, I don't get that now. 
it's very hard. Right. Right. Yeah, and for me also, I mean, like I mentioned, I mean, I, st I was commuting, you know, all the way for seven years or even my entire career up until last November. And the commute itself for me was like kind of personal time. Like I could drive to work, but I'd rather take the bus because I don't want to sit in traffic like this. When I either scroll on my phone or let my mind wander, take a nap or learn something new. I have like an hour a day each way that I could like just me time and do whatever I want for myself. And that was kind of critical. And then once I started working from home, I realized that I needed some kind of other escape. Yeah. And that's when I realized, okay, can, I can pour a bit more text. Like I was doing three minute prayers when I was commuting, like, like yeah. we're done. Like, uh, but uh, you know, now I can, at least I have two hours that are free. I can put 30 minutes back into, um, you know, yeah. um, balance. I know that we're up against it here with time. I just want to ask you one more thing. And that is um, what difference do you see in your trading or mentally, emotionally, when you're doing it with other people's money versus your own? Because for me, I, I don't really have the urge to manage other people's money. I think that I sleep very well at night right now. I can, I can mentally handle my own losses. It's totally fine. It doesn't bother me. But I don't know if I would sleep as well if I was losing my friends and families or strangers' money. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my parents also come to me, especially, you know, about Bitcoin. They always yep. want to know, hey, you know, should I buy? And I told them DCA. That's what my parents do. Yep. My, my dad figured out the cash app real quick, how to buy Bitcoin. And then the cash app now does DCA automatically. It's like, he's, yep. you know, that was, that's it. That's all I need to tell him. And it's like, I said a little bit often. And that was, and that's exactly what they're doing. Um, I don't, okay. So I don't really feel much of a difference between managing other people's money and my own money. I, I, it really, to me is kind of one in the same um, I don't feel more responsible because it's not mine. Um, and I don't feel, you know, less responsible because it's not mine. Right. Um, I feel kind of the same level of responsibility. I, I, I want to treat other people's money as if it's my own and there isn't any kind of real difference between it. And every once in a while you look at the number, okay, half a million right, right now, which is on high risk, but the point that I've made as far as informing my, the people who copy me, Honey Toro at least, is look, this is a high risk and I, I'm trying to do as the best I can to inform them of the risks and that way they can understand and then inform them of my strategy and tell people, look, if we see a dip, which happened several times already, we're investing more. And there are those most, like very few people have uncopied me because of that. Most people, have, right. either they continue to invest with me on buy the dips with me, or they sit out with their original cash. Either way, generally speaking, they've been very happy. Like Onitoro, the community there, you know, the people that are copying me, like every time I, I, I write a post about what we're doing, what our strategy is, uh, this, they always come back. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for updating. And, and this is, I want to just want to be transparent with them as far as what my strategy is. And as long as I do that, my hands are clean. People understand when they're investing that there are risks. Um, you know, thank God we've been more than successful so far, but look, if there, if things, you know, if things go pear shaped, that that's what'll happen. Um, but I'll do my best at that point to like, look, you know, if there was some real red flags and I saw, okay, you know, Bitcoin's going back to 3k or had any kind of feeling like that, you know, 
<laughs> we pull we scale back on the risk and uh, make sure that we do the best we can to protect everybody's money. But as far as the fundamentals so far as, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum right now, things are really, really incredible. I mean, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, the U.S. government with the OCC updates. I mean, like the Europe, the so way that harsh. European is going full hard on like the people that I'm speaking with about setting up my fund. They're all like, tell me what's happening in DeFi. What's the latest coin? And these are like people that don't get on a Zoom call without a freaking suit and tie. Right. Right. <laughs> like the real money um, is here. And they're asking me about like polka dot, like really like that. Today I was on a call and like, this guy like from Cyprus, like he's been in he's, like the most knowledgeable people as far as hedge funds go. And he's like, how, how's, you know, what's going to, what's going to happen with polka dot? I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know. Let me get one of my analysts on the line. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody who could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll put together a nice portfolio that'll reflect uh, that type of growth, uh, but not necessarily be exposed to all of the ups and downs. And that's the best really I can do for it. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this. A lot of really uh, valuable information. So where can everybody follow up with you, follow you, and if they want to copy you or, or participate in what, what, there it is, he's pointing at it, quantumeconomics.io. Where do they follow you personally? Uh, sign up for the newsletter. I'm writing a newsletter every single day, which has all of my deepest, uh, darkest thoughts about the markets, um, all markets, not just crypto. Um, and that's really the best place if you want to know everything. If you just want to know a little bit, Twitter, that's where, you know, the, the little things that float into my head and I go, hmm, let me test this idea out on the crowd today and get so far, every so single, like, uh, it's a learning tool for Great for, for sentiment. Anyways. Great for sentiment. Yeah, exactly. LinkedIn, but, uh, you know, the, the, that's, that's where our badges of honor go. Yes. Uh, Rick, we just passed this month 100, uh, out of the whole team, 100 mentions in the media, like oh, of journalists that were like, asking us questions and then quoted somebody from quantum economics, either one of our analysts or uh, directors or uh, VPs and a um, hundred mentions. That was a milestone for us. Um, and we hope to, uh, to grow from there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I know it's nighttime where you are, even though it's only mid afternoon uh, for me. So uh, <laughs> my girl, my girls are going to be up till 3am. We're on COVID time. <laughs> like, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, we, we've gone native over here as well. So I, I, I can understand it for sure. <laughs> what a time to be alive, right? <laughs> Seriously. Let's